0: Hi, your host, Selena Vidia here. If you have any kind of fascination with life after death, AI, technology, and how they all work together, I think you're going to love this episode with Justin Harrison. As a quick heads up, we did record this over Zoom, so there may be some areas where the Wi-Fi got a little spotty. But without further ado, let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Permissionless Podcast. I'm your host, Selena Vidia. And today I have Justin Harrison, who is a filmmaker, entrepreneur, activist, and CEO of You Only Virtual. He has a really interesting background, and his company is doing pretty amazing things right now, so I'm really excited to jump into this and learn more about you and what you're doing.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. I really appreciate
0: it. Absolutely. How is everything going on your end with the pandemic, COVID, uh, just staying healthy, safe?
1: Uh, It's wild. I had COVID. I was... uh... I was a recipient of COVID. I would not recommend it if anybody out there is thinking about trying (laughs) stay away. Um, But it's been, uh, I think it's been a learning experience for everybody about what we take for granted and that's you've kind of is is taking that into consideration with what we're doing. Um, That life is precious and in every different way and literally really fragile and something like this can happen. Um, And then I think also just like a lot of like intentionality about like, if when life gets back to normal, how do we wanna live? How do we wanna be around each other? You know, we also sort of tackle that. So uh, I'm hoping that we collectively as a society use this horrible moment in time to put a little bit more consideration and caring into how we live our lives day to day.
0: Yeah, it's been a really fascinating time, for sure, just with everybody's changing how they're connecting. Um, You know, there's new technology popping up, there's things like Clubhouse, and people just want that connection, especially with people that they're used to talking to and seeing all the time. It's been really tough.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, that's been sort of instrumental, like people shift in thinking for us and why we decided to launch now is we really wanna challenge the notion of what it means to communicate and what it means to, I mean, to be frank, we're, communi- we're, we're challenging the notion of what it means to die um, and sort of how much of that we have to accept um, as an eventuality and as a guarantee in life.
0: It's really powerful the way that you said that because so many people ignore death, they're afraid of death or they just don't prepare outside of the typical you know, creating a will and making sure everything is tied up from that end. Do you want to give a quick background on You Only Virtual so that our listeners know what you're all about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So You Only Virtual is a messaging service that uses your individual connections with people you care about to build a digital persona for yourself. Um, with the goal of being able to continue communicating with the people you love after you pass away. Um, And it spawned from my own personal experience with almost dying. I got into a near fatal motorcycle accident accident back in October of 2019. And then about six weeks after that, uh, my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so I just had to your point where everybody sort of ignores it and doesn't take it into consideration. It was like, forced in my face. Like, this is real. You're not invincible. The people you love aren't invincible. And it, and to be frank, like everyone else, I'm not, I wasn't ready for that. And I wasn't ready to think about my mom going. And so it led me on this rabbit hole of what are we doing about this? What are we doing technologically about this? This is crazy. We can, we can go to the moon, we can put a probe on Mars, but we can't figure out how to, preserve somebody digitally. And I just sort of refused to accept that that was an issue. So I started with how do we create somebody digitally and using social media and using this and using that. And I saw that other people were doing that and it, it just didn't seem to be working. And then it was sort of like, well, what next? What if it's all their history? And I was like, yeah, so what? Then there's a chat bot that's basically a Wikipedia for a person and who cares there? And so when it really got down to it, it was like, what is it that I want to preserve about my mother? And, and it all came back to the relationship. I want to be able to call her, have that familiar conversation with her, have it feel authentic. I don't care about historical accuracy or memory. Those are things we lose as we get older anyway. What I really care about is that her personality is there. And so what I started considering was that like people are different with different people. So we now have a 15 minute relationship or a 10 minute relationship happening. And it's decidedly different than every other 10 minute relationship you've ever had. Even though you've done dozens and dozens scores of podcasts with people, whatever connectivity we're having now is different than all of those. And all those are different from each other. Um, And I started thinking about that on a, a more micro level, like your relationship with your father is going to be different than your mother, is going to be different than your siblings, going to be different than your partners and on and on and on down the road. And so instead of creating one virtual persona that represents somebody universally, we, you know, I came up with the idea that we need to focus on the micro and can can create as many virtual personas as a person's willing and wanting to. And those unique dynamics and communication that happens between those people are what sets the basis for a person And the idea being that you can call them, you can video chat them and you can text message them after they've passed away because we've captured the essence of your relationship.
0: The idea that you can create individual personas according to somebody's history with somebody else is fascinating because I remember hearing an interview, it was years ago, I don't even remember where I heard it, but they were talking about the concept of having somebody live on after death and being able to have AI create conversations. And my first thought was everybody's different with every person that they talk to how is something going to feel authentic if it's trying to kind of aggregate all these different things and create one person so the fact that you th- that it's able to do it according to all sorts of different relationships is really interesting
1: absolutely and and I think you you got a great point that's where I got stymied in the initial phases of thinking this through was just coming up against this piece of one, when you start thinking about a person and their interactions, I mean, I've this is my fourth, fifth conversation of the day, um, in a day, you know? And at a certain point, it just becomes a mess of information, you know? And how do you determine what's valid and what's helpful and what represents the person? And when you start getting into globals, it just it it becomes chaotic it doesn't make sense it's really hard to find patterns and that's what we're all about doing is how do we find patterns how does ai and machine learning intuitively create new patterns new create new neural pathways based on a very small data set in the grand scheme of things which is just our relationship and then it really doesn't matter after that right so Unfortunately, we can't offer it that somebody you haven't seen in 20 years or talked to in 20 years can come and talk to your virtual persona after you've passed. And it's just like talking to the same person cause it won't be for them. But if your mom does, or if your partner does it will be like exactly talking to them. And I think in the future there's definitely an aggregation that will happen where we can say, we can put a predictive model together pretty well based on the aggregation of all these different personas here's a pretty flushed out version, but it's still one of the same thing, right? It's still gonna go back to the database of each person it's interacting with. So really, it almost doesn't matter. It really is intuitive to start small and then expand out from that. Um, but we do have hope that like, once we've had enough interactions with enough different people, we could create something of a more universal general version of oneself. But I really saw like a lot of other com- companies trying to do this. This is on a lot of people's mind. We're definitely friends right now, this industry, um, but there are people out there trying to do it. And the thing I kept coming against was everyone was trying to do a global person, rebuild this person based on their writings. How would they write based on their text messages from 27 different people based on this, based on that. And it's like, yeah, you'll find patterns, but it's really difficult to refine them. And then you're also working on averages. Well, the average amount of time they say yes to this question is 85%. So it's going to be, that's going to be the predictive index they use. Whereas we're saying, yeah, with four other members of their youth circle, the average answer is yes, 85% of the time. But with this person, 85% of the time, the answer is no, because there's a unique relationship. And then it's about what's unique coming from this person that triggers them to say no, as opposed to everybody else. And we started dig deeper and deeper into the psychology of the relationship.
0: It is so nuanced, so incredibly nuanced. So you have a background as a so you went through a couple things from stand up comedian to filmmaker, and you worked at companies as I believe a producer. But what I want to talk about is this area that you've moved into that has to do with AI and a lot of tech. It mm-hmm. is something where it's pretty brand new to everybody. So did you have any mentors or how did you go about even starting the process of understanding how this could work?
1: Well, I'm super fortunate. My dad is a software engineer for Microsoft um, and he basically provided me a roadmap of who I needed to talk to and how I needed to think it through and acted as you know, a consultant for me and helped set me up with the right people based on their qualifications And then just a lot of conversations over wine about like, how would I make this work? And what would I do? And, you know, to your point, it is so new. And to call anybody an expert in this field right now is like, you're an expert for what we know but we're learning new things every day. Um, And the very nature of AI and machine learning is that you're giving something for lack of a better words, agency to go try stuff new And then you're tweaking it as it goes. So a lot of the time it's like, we don't even really know what's going to happen. We do our best to set it up, but in our, in our case, we want it to do its own thing. You know, we can't sit there and predict every nuance that's going to be for every single person. So we really rely on those algorithms to simply put, just find the patterns, you know, find the patterns, figure out what's going on here. And we also don't want to overload it with with restrictions because we don't know. So there's existing sentiment APIs out there that just don't work for us because, again, it's based on global. So 99% of the population thinks, you know, feels that the sky is blue and that's how it's going to react. But, you know, that's not authentic for the 1% that doesn't feel that way. So we have to reestablish all those sentiments, all those data sets, and all those assumptions for each individual.
0: What's great about everything that you had just said is you had a lot of different areas where you're able to get help and consulting and understand the space, but because you're in such a, a space that changes every day, that is still an unknown, you are pretty scrappy in trying to understand as best as you could, what could be done and being comfortable with the fact that you may not know exactly everything about what you're doing at the moment, which I think is something people struggle with, especially when they uh, start their own company in a space that's very well known. It's just a struggle in general for people.
1: I think a big part of it for me is, you know, the first thing people say is like, well, do you have a tech background? And I'm like, no, you don't need a tech background for what we're trying to do. I mean, obviously at some point you do to implement the technology, but again, one of the biggest problems I saw with anybody else trying to do this is the overcomplication of it. You know, human beings are crazy complicated, but when you boil it down, it's not that complicated. It's four basic human emotions, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and that's driving all our decisions, all our interactions, why we're doing things. And then we have experiences and almost all of those experiences are based on a relationship with somebody else. Even if it's quick, somebody cutting you off in traffic, somebody hitting you in a bar, you know, somebody doing this, whatever. It's still an experience that shifts your narrative and shifts how those basic emotions and those basic needs present themselves. So for me, when I was thinking about this, I was like, and of course my dad is like, you need this complicated this. And my tech advisors is like, yeah, we would need to do this. And I'm like, guys, slow down. I could do this by hand if I had all the time in the world. The only reason we need technology is to do it fast and to process it quickly. But at the end of the day, what we're writing down is, sentiments, responses, and predictive models of how those might go. And we're interviewing people, we're, you know, downloading their information, we're having them give us feedback to help us refine this. But it's not this crazy, insane, like, you know, fly us to the moon type of thing. It's really basic. It's like, listen to people, understand what they're doing, figure out their motivation, and then when the time is right, we respond based on that data set.
0: It's taking a very, very complicated sounding thing and just putting it one step, one foot in front of the other, step by step, to get that to get that moving. Absolutely. So, as far as you had a near-death experience and the experience with your mom, and I believe it was within a couple months of each other, um, which spawned, you know, thinking about this and eventually starting this company. When did you know that it was the right time to go all in and completely focus on this and start? I believe you're also freelancing as a filmmaker now and you've left um, kind of the company world.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, I'm sure you hear this from a lot of entrepreneurs. There never feels like there was this one definitive date where I'm all in. I think that the traction from the company started to get, momentous enough that it was like, all right, I need to put all my time towards this. And to that end, I'm not even making films right now. It's really focuses on you. Um, I think what you find when you're starting your own thing is when do you have enough that this could live without, how do I put this? When do you have enough going for it that it can really be birthed? When does it stop being an idea and start being a, a company, you know, and and that's really what it got down to for me is like, you know, at a certain point when I saw like, hey, we have a lot of assets, we have a lot of things to make this work, we have a working program, we have a demo, we have promotional materials, we have a corporation, we have all these things, we have patents, on and on and on. I think the some sort of sum total of those things made me realize now's the time where we're feet first and we've got to present ourselves to the world and, see how the world responds and see if people are interested in this. And I think, uh, going through the process with open eyes, going through the process with tempered expectations is really important. You know, I think most people don't tell you when you start your own company, you start your own business, it's not going to pay you. You're going to pay it Mm -hmm. and you're taking a ton of risk. And there's a reason why there isn't, you know, 5 million CEOs in the world and, uh, that you know that that not everybody does this yes it can be lucrative yes it can be amazing yes you could change the world but you can also spend hundreds of thousands of dollars as i've done and people say nah we're good you know and that's just sort of the risk you have to take and i think you know i think the first big spend is when you're like i now i'm in this now i have to see this through you know because none of it works independently of itself. You know, you can't say I'm going to create an amazing brand and then be like, but I'm not going to invest anything in production and I'm going to do amazing production, but I'm not going to, you know, uh, put a team in place for, you know, legal and on and on and on down that road. Um, so to answer your question, I don't know when I knew it was time, but I think that when I had enough people around me saying I want in, one, a lot of people wanting to be equity partners and be a part of it. I had enough people saying, I know somebody that would put money in this. I know somebody who put money into this. I started to feel like, okay, there's interest. It's time for me to ask a bigger population. And part of that means being completely ready, which means putting a lot of time and effort into getting us ready for that.
0: Yeah. And I think another uh, big thing, at least from my perspective, is you have such a strong why as to why you're doing this. You have you know, something life-changing, multiple life-changing things that happen to you that is driving you with this company. And people can sense that, you know, there's tons of people who start companies that maybe don't have any kind of why other than, you know, I want to try this difficult industry or I want to become quote-unquote insanely wealthy thinking that that's how it works when they start a company. But you have such a compelling story and that is going to be woven into everything with this company.
1: Absolutely. And I've said from the beginning, and I did it, I didn't just say it, but I mean, I did it. It's like, I said from the beginning, if I can preserve my mom digitally, then my job is done. That, that was my initial mission. And if that cost me, you know, tons and tons of money to get to that place, that's why I was doing it. And I think, you know, now that's morphed into now that I see the light at the end of the tunnel that I can do that with her, that's now gotten to a place of like, well, I want to share this with everybody. I don't want to be the only person that has this. I don't want to be the only person that's spared from the intense grief. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, when we talk in our executive meetings and think through, we always come back to like, we could really change the world. We could really shift probably the most difficult and horrible element of human experience. And that feels really good to me. And that's a huge motivator to push forward on this and to make it happen.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Um, if you don't mind my asking, what was your mom's thoughts or opinions on this? Like, how did she feel about it?
1: Well, she was willing participant. She wanted to do everything to help. Um, I think that both my parents and my dad was trying to give me as best advice as possible and, you know, help me think through strategically as much as possible. I think both of them were skeptical. I mean, it was huge. It was big. I don't think either of them had any idea what it would take for me financially to really start to lift it off the ground. Um, But I can only assume that she was touched by the sentiment, you know? Um, I don't think many moms can say, you know, their kid went out to try to invent a way to cheat death when they found out I was going to die. So to that end, I think, I think, uh, I think she was touched, but I think also as a mom, she was like, are you, like, what are you doing? Like, this is crazy too. Like you're, you know, you're patenting things, you're building this company. If it doesn't work, you've spent so much money on it. And, and that's just the mom in her too, you know?
0: Yeah. The, the moms always have the support of wings, but also the, just be careful because they care to make sure that your, your life is going as, you know, everybody expects it to go. So you're juggling a lot of things. You had mentioned that you've already done a couple of conversations today. What is a typical day like for you with your hands and everything?
1: Um, It's a great question. I mean, I think as you know, being a CEO, being somebody that's running it, your hand has to be a little bit in everything. I'm definitely of the mindset when it comes to people wanting to be entrepreneurs. And I think this extends past this phase, but especially in the startup phase, You have to recognize that you, your job isn't to be the expert in everything. Your job is to find the expert on everything. And so I try to, my day typically looks like a lot of checking in. Let's have a 20 minute conversation here let's have a 30 minute conversation here. I've got people working all over the globe on it. And so those can be at odd times, you know, but my days usually start with check-ins with my key folks. Um, Then there's a lot of me thinking through, me doing research, me seeing what else we need to do, um, putting out fires, thinking through solutions. Um, But, you know, my day is usually pretty packed. And then, you know, mostly what I'm thinking about is how do we make it better? What's the next step for making it better? Um, And of course, you know, the number one CEO goal, especially in the early phases before you have a strong CFO that's really taking care of all this for you is, how do we keep the lights on? You know, How do we keep moving forward? Um, there's a lot of negotiations, a lot of striking deals with people, a lot of figuring out how much we can do with what we have. And um, I would say that that probably occupies most of my time is how do I keep all these amazing people working on this, working.
0: Got it. What I love about uh, what you just said is that you are, your job isn't necessarily to do everything yourself but it's to find the right people and experts who can handle it. And I think a lot of people, when they're starting a business or it's their first go around, they struggle with not knowing the answer or not being able to, one, to be the one that can do it. And it is so important to, if you don't know the answer, find someone who does. There are plenty of people whose expertise falls where it might be a weakness or just an unknowledgeable space for you and lean into them. Everybody loves to work on things that they are great at, and they're going to be more than willing to help when they believe in the company and the mission.
1: Absolutely. No, and I I think that it really, I mean, the best advice and and I've worked in management and my own companies for a long time, but the best advice I can give to anybody entering the world of entrepreneurship or wanting to be senior leaders in business or anywhere, frankly, is you have to have trust in your team. You know, you have to understand that there are people who know more than you. And when once you accept that and you give people the agency to go do what they do best, your results are going to be really good. You know, the second that you're double, you know, you're questioning them, you're impeding their work, and you're not trusting the the process that you've put in place, you're not really a CEO anymore. Then you're a a manager, you know, you're micromanaging Mm -hmm. people that are leaders themselves, you know. Once you establish your C-suite, you've got to let them do what they do. And the more sort of meddling and micromanaging of the small things you do, I think the more detrimental it becomes to your business.
0: I agree. 100%. I love asking this question because everybody has different methods to their madness. Do you have any kind of productivity, time management, self-care, mental health, any kind of tips that you can share for what works for you?
1: Um, I think not as many as I should, of course. Um, I think that I try to draw, draw out times that are really like protected. So if I'm spending time with my family, um, I'm do the work ahead to make sure that everybody's taken care of in the company and I can be ghost for a while. I think that's a huge thing that a lot of corporate leaders don't give themselves is time away from it. It's really easy to be engulfed and have your whole world be your business. Um, if you don't realize that there's a place where that begins and a place that that ends, it'll never end. People will want to ask you questions 24 hours a day. Um, so for me, one of the big things is protecting my time. And um, another kind of like little self-care thing I do is when I feel like I've hit a, ceil- uh, you know, hit the ceiling in terms of my productivity or my use of time or um, my ideas or what's next, I go for a hike. I I go specifically a place where I get no reception on my phone. Um, I'm away from everybody. I can't have any conversations. I can't respond to any emails. And I just think about it in like the quiet of nature, like, you know, what do I want to do? And my heart rates up and I'm exerting myself and I'm having to put my brain power sort of equally to like, all right, keep pumping your legs and going up this Hill. And that really tends to quiet down a lot of the not important information so you know i think it's easy to go how are we gonna afford this next thing that we need and instead of understanding why you need the next thing or how you could do it differently you get really fixated on a million different revenue streams and a million different this a million different that when your brain only has room for like get your get your fat ass up the hill in my case you know not everybody and what do we need what do we really need and how do we get there all of this sort of other noise quiets itself down. Um, So I think for me, a lot of the time is a lot of the time, the best solution for productivity isn't flow charts and schedules and calendars and all this shit, but it's being intentional about what my time is for giving to something, being prepared to give my time when I'm going to do it. And then also treating my personal time and my recharge time just as sacredly. So you know, and I, again, apologize. It's very rare for me to ever be late. I'm super punctual. It drives me crazy when people aren't punctual. And a big part of that is because I really like prepared myself to be engaged with whatever this meeting is. And, you know, now I need to give 100% to that. Last thing I would say is I am a firm believer in not trying to do too many things back to back to back to back. If your heads, you need some time to get your head space. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in research. I'm a huge believer in coming prepared as much time as you can save at the onset of not having to know the basics that you could already know by a web search or a little bit of reading of an email. That's more time you have to be productive and solve problems.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I think like you had mentioned communication. So letting people know that you're going to potentially be unreachable, unplugged, or with your family boundaries are a really big thing, especially for me. So I love that you had mentioned how you kind of work within those and make sure that not everybody needs you all the time. And I find the hiking very interesting because I've had a number of people say that they do various activities that equate to moving meditation, where you don't realize that your brain has the ability to kind of check out because you're so focused on the present and the activity that you're doing, that new ideas or new ways of thinking automatically come to you without you needing to do much because your brain just has that that space.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think the other thing too, from a time management and productivity standpoint is I'm a really strong believer in deadlines. Um, I, I'm, I, I kind of love the Netflix model. I don't know how familiar you are, but like, you know, they're very clear from top down. Like we don't care what time you show up to work. We don't care if 90% of your time, you're chilling at the house playing video games. What we care about is we have a timetable for something to be done and done well and there's expectations on what it is, and this is when we need it, so this is when you're accountable for it. And I think it gives people a lot of, uh, again, I keep using this term agency. You know, when you have a workforce and a team full of people that have their own agency, have their own investment in it, it's sort of as simple as saying, here's the dollars, here's the expectation, here's when I need it by. Is this reasonable? Yes, it is. Then I want it then. Drop dead. I don't wanna get a call a week out saying like, oh, I need more time. I don't wanna have conversations on the day about why I don't have it. I wanna be really clear, set really clear expectations. And then those expectations need to be met. I don't care how you get there. It's not my problem. That's micromanagement. Yeah. But I do expect it to be done, you know?
0: Yeah, and everybody has different working methods too. I actually, it's funny you mentioned Netflix because I have a buddy who's a trailer editor there. And when he started working there, he gave me the gist of, you know, how they handle deadlines and things like that. And what I love about it is if somebody doesn't necessarily fit in the traditional nine to five of their best productivity time, they can work whenever they want to, as long as they hit that deadline. And I believe that gives everybody the opportunity to do their best work. Not everybody works the way other people work. And if you can tap into what's best for you and you have the agency to work that way, it's really impactful.
1: Absolutely. I think it also just values people. You know, I, I, I always found it. So, you know, my last executive role working under somebody, you know, the person insisted that we be in at a certain time in the office and, you know, that these were the times and whatever. And, and I was sort of like nothing against Starbucks, but like, we don't have an open closed time. There's not a customer waiting at the door to get something like we have big meta tasks that, some people on my team think about better in the evening and you know, just need sleep in the morning. And um, I, they're not a robot in my mind of trying to accomplish tasks on an assembly line. We're asking for people's brain power. And so if you wanna value that, then you have to let them operate within the space that maximizes that. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of, a lot of leadership doesn't grasp that concept yet that the value in somebody is what they can produce for you and so if you if you want the maximum return on your investment you know the ROI has to be based on how you best utilize them and that just is different for everybody you know some people work better remote some people like an office structure some people like this your job as a as a CEO baseline job, the most important job is understanding how to get the best productivity to get the best ROI from your team of people. And if you're rigid in seeing how that happens, or think that there's a cookie cutter method of doing that, you're not going to go super far.
0: I agree. It's essentially throw out any kind of rule book that you thought existed and just go with what needs to be done at the time and how you need to work with people and don't try to set any expectation as to what and how they should do it. Absolutely. All right. So I want to be mindful of time uh, with this particular chat. So I have a speed round and I don't normally tell my guests the questions ahead of time. So you're going in blind and I'm really excited to see what you come up with. All right. So favorite book or podcast?
1: Oh, it's so hard. That's such a hard thing. Um, I love, there's this guy named, I think his name is Dan Savage and he does this thing called hardcore history. Oh yeah. Six hour anthologies about like, you know, world war two or world war one or, um, and it's just, it, it's so engaging and I'm a huge history buff. Like I love history.
0: All right. Next one, two songs that get you pumped up
1: uh definitely the weekend um i'm drawing complete blank on it uh biggest song he's ever done huge hit in 2019 um oh, blinded by the light uh that's like my hype song like get that a was
0: 2019 yeah.
1: wow really, i think it was end of 2019 so it really hit 2020 um i'm like super old school with this one but i love dmx any dmx gets me hyped to like work out <laughs> so like whatever Um, yeah, I would say, I would say the, the weekend is like my jam and then the black keys lonely boy is just like such like an energy song and such a vibe to it.
0: That's a good jam for sure. So out of these four words, what do you feel got you to where you are now? And which one do you want to build upon boldness, adaptability, fearlessness, and confidence?
1: Oh God, I have to choose one of those. I think boldness, I think boldness actually honestly could encompass at least two of the three other, Um, but without it, all those other things are rendered fairly useless. I think to be a CEO, to be an entrepreneur, you have to be bold. Um, You can be afraid and you can be measured and you can be unconfident. Um, Although I do think boldness and confidence go hand in hand. Um, And if you want to be successful, it's adaptability. And I think that's the thing I would build on more
0: if there's one piece of advice you could give somebody that wants to live a permissionless life, what would that advice be?
1: Well, I mean, it would go back to the last question, be bold. You know, um, if you're waiting for somebody to give you permission um, you've already failed, then there is no gatekeeper. Uh, there's no magic person in the sky. Something I spent a lot of time telling filmmakers about everybody was sort of waiting for their quote on big quote unquote, big break. And it was, steeped in this like belief that there's some magic person at the movie studios waiting to hand you the keys to the lot. And at the end of the day, if you want it, go take it. And you have to be bold to do that. And you don't have to be confident and you don't have to be unafraid. And, you know, in some circumstances, you don't even have to be adaptable. But first and foremost, like you have to have the bold hubris to go and say, I'm going to do something I don't give a shit who says it's okay for me to do, I'm I'm on my way to do it.
0: The only gatekeeper is literally ourselves. We gatekeep ourselves and we don't even realize, especially in the entertainment industry, there's so many things that you can just put a foot forward and try to do without waiting for anybody else to open that door for you. Absolutely. Uh, is there somebody that you truly feel lives permissionless?
1: Um, You know, I would say that the unfortunate reality is that most people are waiting, you know? Most people are waiting for an opportunity. Most people are missing that opportunity. I think the cool thing and that really sets folks like us apart and sets sets folks that are entrepreneurs apart is we're in the very, very, very few of people that buck the idea that there's something holding you back and I, I, think, I think if I had to say one person I know of, not new, but I think Barack Obama per- personifies the permissionless. Um, I'm big into politics. I'm a huge activist. And for a 40-something-year-old African-American man, of a parent of a single mother, to jump into the political fray and say, no, I can be president, I can lead us, and then you know, have the overwhelming success he had, You can't be waiting for permission in that position. And I love everything about how, what, when he did that and knowing internally that he was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I don't need somebody to tell me I can.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to interrupt this speed round just briefly. I wish we had more time because you also, you mentioned you're an activist too, and there's so much stuff that we could dig into. But is there anything that you've learned in that specific area that has made you successful with it, whether that's understanding how people are communicating, how were you able to reach and help change people's minds?
1: Um, You know, I think that everything good (laughs) that I've learned has come from activism, has come from social justice work. I take a little bit of approach that I think is the popular narrative. I think everyone needs to be heard. Everyone's voice needs to be in the room. Now, whether you act on what everybody's voice is saying or not is completely based on the greater good and whatever. But I think just creating the equity for everyone to be heard shifts people's perspective and it shifts their narrative. And even if they don't agree with the final outcome or it's not everything they had hoped for, knowing that somebody heard them out and listened changes the whole paradigm. And I think that that can be applied to anything you do and it has to be applied to anything you wanna do that's bold and creative and different because the people around you need to have a voice in it too. And you need to value it. And most importantly, they need to understand that they have a voice and it just goes back to valuing people. Um, And that is the the core statement I live by. Like hear everybody, give everyone space for their voice. You don't have to do what they say. You don't have to go the direction they want you to go, but ultimately it's not altruism what you can get from hearing people and hearing people in all different positions and all different walks ultimately adds so much value to you. I mean, it truly, I actually, I was recognized at one point, um, because unintentionally I had a a crew that was all, uh, people of color and women, um, which for me didn't mean shit, you know? And when somebody, multiple people have asked me about this, like, well, you know, you 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 hire so many people color people so many people so many women and i was sort of like i hire good people you know and apparently i'm just like one of the few people who understands that like the more you broaden your horizons the more voices you let into the room the more talent the more resources the more you can find for yourself and at the end of the day it just so happens to be the composition but i have the best people i just look further than you all do so you know This idea that diversity, inclusion, activism, equity, social justice is some kind of gift to a group of marginalized people is horseshit. It's expanding your horizons. It's getting different experiences. It's broadening what you know, what you understand, ideas that you wouldn't have gotten. And I think that if people looked at activism and looked at equality and looked at justice in that way, and also got away from this ridiculous narrative that, oh, as soon as you let somebody else's opinion in, yours is nullified. I have no problem saying no to anybody of any color, creed, gender, sexual preference, religion. Like I have no problem saying no, disagreeing, arguing, but I will let everybody, no matter who they are, give me input and let their voice be heard. And that's what equality is. It's not this like mysterious, magical thing on the top of the hill. It's saying, hey, you and I both have equal opinions, equal input, equal judgment, and I'll hear yours out and you hear mine out. And at the end of the day, whatever we come up with is whatever we came up with, but we came up with it together. And I try to apply that across everything I do.
0: I love that. We can't, everything about life is growth and you can't grow if you're just in an echo chamber and hearing the same types of things every day. And Building upon what you said briefly, even if you even if you know deep down you're right about something, which nobody's ever really right 100% about anything, there is absolutely no harm in hearing somebody else's thoughts and opinions. And you might even be surprised and have a change in the way you're thinking. That's the beauty of, of listening to other people. And I think we kind of forget about that, especially when a lot of it is faceless online um, and we can essentially reach and hear from so many different people that we just forget that everyone has a different history, everyone has a different background, experience, thoughts, processes things differently. So communication and and listening is so powerful.
1: Absolutely. I also am just a really strong believer in not tokenizing people, you know? Um, I I have no, again, getting back to that story about like a film crew, I, I was like, let me be very clear. None of my hiring practices are about empowering people because right i'm not doing any of this because and i think that like one of the stumbling blocks especially when we get into the entrepreneurial world and especially especially as we see young folks of color and women starting to move into positional powers you know you only help yourself opening yourself up to everybody and you only build your resources. At the end of the day, you're the boss, you know? I mean, I have no delusion about that. Like I have no problem of having authority. I, nobody on my team has or ever will be there for like uh, optics or because it looks good or because we have some mandate. Every time I hear like these big corporations saying, we're putting more emphasis on hiring women and people of color. My first thought is like, A, who gives a fuck? You should be- Yeah, why do you announce it? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. why is this a PR (laughs) campaign for you? And B, like all that tells me is that you were making bad business decisions before because I know hundreds of people of color, hundreds of women that are really fucking good at their jobs, that are really rock star talented people. So at the end of the day, like lack of diversity and closed-mindedness towards diversity is- a knock against your ability to be successful. I mean, really you're just limiting yourself. So if I'm a firm believer, like we're never gonna get to, we're never gonna get to social justice and uh, you know, a more equitable world via altruism. There's no motivation in it. If you started noting like, you know, Bumble is a great example of this right now. It's like, this is a female driven company, a female CEO, a female inventor, founder, whatever. You're like, and she's a billionaire off of an amazing idea. And the first thing I think to myself is, what was the CEO of Tender doing not hiring her up and making their, you know, making her her chief, his chief content officer at the time? Like yeah. now you've got a competitor that's way better than you and has a way better program than you. And you could have had that if, and I'm not saying the tender people do this, I don't know them, they might be lovely people, I have no idea. But my only thought is it's gonna happen and do you want to be the idiot that closed your ears and only hired people from Harvard that look like you and come from the same background? And now you have really serious competition and products that are better than you and, you know, movies that are better than yours and whatever, because you didn't want to be inclusive. And I think ultimately that will be the, the model and the way of thinking that finally gets a lot of these dinosaurs either out or thinking differently is understanding that it's not a gift. You're it's, it's mutually beneficial to be, uh, be thoughtful and to put a lot of effort into reaching every different type of person because everyone has incredible resources to offer.
0: I agree. Just being a good human, that should be a staple of life.
1: Yeah. But there's also a financial benefit to it if you're doing that. You know, it's like, don't don't get so caught up in like you're doing the world a favor. Like, no, you're doing yourself a favor by opening up the possibilities to how many amazing talents and insights you can have.
0: 100%. So if anybody wanted to find you and learn more about you and what you've done and what you're currently doing and your company, where can they find you online?
1: IYOV.com.
0: All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I know we could have talked about so much stuff, but I wanted to keep it a little more focused on what you're currently doing. Is there anything that you want to share as your last parting words?
1: No, I'd just say that this month is the beginning of Founders Month. So anybody that goes onto myYOV.com and requests an invite, um, we're currently in the uh, demo phase. Like we wanted to make sure that people understood the user experience and had input on it. We, we get that like this is... Intense and this is intense things to be sharing with a company. So every step of the way, I really wanted to be mindful of our customers and our clients and our partners, having input in how we do things. So this month, if you sign up, you'll be locked in perpetuity, $1 a month for the entire existence of Youth. Um, so no matter what cool technology we come up with, no matter what subscriptions levels there ends up being, you'll always pay $1. Um, And then additionally, you get to see everything as it comes out. So right now folks are getting links to the demo to play with it, look at the user experience and tell us what they love to change or tweak. So definitely go to myyov.com right now and sign up and check it out.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Justin.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to another Permissionless episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love if you went on over to Apple Podcasts and gave us a review or shared it with some friends. We are 100% bootstrapped, so any kind of love helps. You can follow Permissionless at permission underscore less on Twitter and Instagram, or go to permissionless.com to check out what we have there. And if you want to follow me and see what I'm up to, you can find me at selenavidia pretty much everywhere. Thank you so much, and I'll see you for the next episode.